This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. I think it's fun. I love the passion for it. I love just the en- their energy around it. I don't know if it's the end of the year or whatever, but it's a very grassroots. People are stoked, and it's fun to help you know, facilitate people's stoke and dreams and have... Like today, even Leela was talking about how, like, when we got to those new short boaters, how excited they were to just get to that finish line. They did it. They dreamed about racing the green. They've watched people do it, and they crossed that finish line, and they couldn't be more stoked. And it's awesome to be part of that. This episode comes to you from the Green River, deep in the mountains of western North Carolina. The Green River has been home of the green race for 27 years, This November, I hiked down to the Green River at the Narrows to see this river, the boaters, the race. These two episodes on the Green Race of 2022 focus on the women's longboat division, specifically on two racers, Adrienne Levconnect and Evie Liebfarth. Adrienne has won the Green Race 12 times between the years of 2008 and 2020. No one else has won any category of the Green Race that many times. Evie Liebfarth is a first-time green racer and is born of the rivers of North Carolina and has won world championships in slalom and competed at the Tokyo Olympics in 2021. And there is a culture of river love and river people who flock to the green race that is deep with passion and optimism and pure fun. The story of the green race is the story of river people, the story of a most pure definition of a river, a place that thrives with fast boats. After the race was all over and I had six and a half hours of raw audio, it was clear to me that the green race was what I looked for with this podcast, that cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. The interviews you will hear in these two episodes were conducted over three days at the Green River. Some were along the river itself before the race day, some were at the race festival campgrounds outside or in an RV, some were in the middle of the festival grounds the morning of the race day, others late at night after the race, and some audio comes right from the river on race day. In this first episode of the Green Race 2022, please meet the two racers we focus on. We start with Adrian Levconnect. So I'm Adrian Levconnect. I live in Greenville, South Carolina, but I grew up in Michigan, just outside of Grand Rapids. Um, I moved down here when I was 18, so that was 17 years ago. Okay, and tell me about your life. Tell me about your life. How do you live? The things you do in your life. So I work um, to make money. I work as a paramedic for um, Greenville County, which is the county that I live in, in South Carolina. And then um, I've been doing contract work so with the like U.S. government. So they'll send me, like they sent me to an island in the middle of nowhere for a while. Um, and then in the summertime, I'll take um, fire medic jobs out west, so... Um, a little bit of everything just to make ends meet. And then I kayak all the time. And then uh, am I right that you are also like a river cruise hostess? I'm not a hostess. Oh, gosh. That kind of <laughs> makes me sound fancy. Um, no, I was working as a paramedic on a cruise ship. So I did oh. 10 weeks in the spring, and then I did three weeks this this um, summer just during COVID, like mm-hmm. doing COVID testing. And um, so I'm done with that now. That was um, – it was another way for me to make a little bit more money than just working at the county. Mm-hmm. And what, what, so that was a river boat cruise. What rivers? Yeah, so we, I was working with American Cruise Lines, which is super small boats. Like in the spring, I was up in the northeast, 
in between like Baltimore and Boston. That was more kind of like ocean stuff. And then um, the one that I did this summer was the upper Mississippi. So we did the Mississippi and then into the Ohio and then into the Cumberland. So tell me, tell me about your kayak life. When did you start boating? When does, when does competition roll into that? My parents got me paddling when I was five um, in a sea kayak, though, because I grew up in Michigan. So we did all sea kayaking. And then I got into whitewater when I was 11. I took the NOC Kids Camp up at down at the Nantahala Gorge and did that for a few years. And then I went to World Class Kayak Academy for two years. So I did that for my uh, junior and senior year. Briefly explain that. Um, it is a world traveling kayaking high school um, with we had 14 students and five teachers. And so essentially I got to learn my last years of high school on like the banks of like the White Nile or the Zambezi. Um, we went to Ecuador, New Zealand, um, all sorts of really rad places. And it was um, it was great. I was not on a trajectory to uh, graduate high school. And so my parents um, refinanced their house so they could afford for me to go to world class. So thanks, mom and dad. Like you weren't on a trajectory, meaning traditional, formal, public high school education was not your jive. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it okay. was not my jive at all. Okay. And here's our other racer, Evie Liebfarth. Hi, my name is Evie Liebfarth. I grew up in Bryson City, North Carolina, kayaking on the Nantahala River. And now I live in Charlotte, where I go to college. What do you, are, you, are you focused on a, on a major? Yeah, I'm studying biology. I want to do uh, pre-med and do something in sports medicine. So talk to me a little bit more about that. Like, how do you, you live? You, you go to school, you go to, you go to Davidson College. I'm assuming you spend a lot of your time kayaking. Um, when the Whitewater Center is turned on, I go there almost every day after school. So I train uh, twice a day, usually. And recently I've been coming up to the green instead of going there, which has been pretty awesome, a, a great change. Twice a day, in the morning and the evening? Yes, so normally I wake up before class. I either go to the gym or paddle flat water. Then I go to all my classes, do my homework, and then go to the Whitewater Center or the Green or, you know, some river. So I want to ask you about your kayak life. Start at the beginning. Tell me about your kayak life. I've been kayaking basically since the day I was born. Both my parents were always super involved in the river community. Uh, they met at a raft guiding party, so obviously, like, very connected to that. Uh, my dad was a coach for the Canoe Slalom National Team before I was born. So that was kind of like a natural, when I was old enough, I got really into that uh, part of the kayaking. But I used to paddle like really easy, like class one, two rivers, just like sitting on my dad's lap, you know, without his brace here. I had a little paddle that didn't have blades. It was just like <laughs> a stick, really. I, I would just pretend to paddle. Um, but I, I thought for sure I was going really fast. And then as soon as I was old enough, I got my first kayak. It was neon pink. I got a sparkly black paddle. And honestly, the rest is history. I just... I ended up really loving it. I started doing slalom when I was seven years old, and then I started competing internationally when I was 12, and then since then I've really just been training and loving kayaking, and it's kind of become my whole life. And so you started competing at 12, and has that been the kind of like the trajectory since then to now of your of your kayaking life? Is this mostly a competition-based thing? Or do you still, do you and your folks go kayaking ever for just pure fun? Um, every now and then, honestly, like maybe twice a year. It's always really special when we go out with my whole family. Um, 
kind of like a back to the roots moment, especially when it's at like the Nantahala Outdoor Center or someplace where I grew up. For the most part, my kayaking is pretty competition based. I have a pretty like rigorous training schedule um, and like four or five or six months out of the year, I'm usually out of the country training. And that is just like training camps, races. And honestly, training for the green has been like the first time that I've been on a natural river in a really long time. Mm -hmm. So that's been pretty great. The Green River is one of these magic rivers that you would never know existed unless you see it. Getting there tells that story. The roads wind and descend into deep deciduous forests where orientational views are rare under the forest canopy. Barely a trailhead to begin the walk in. The hike wanders down and across for a few miles. Then there is a descent spot the place where a deep drop off of the trail happens. It's up on a ridge, still below the trees. You can sort of see the river from there. You can hear it for damn sure. It's a place where I get that nervous feeling in my gut that always shows up at the top of some big scout, and I'm not even going to boat this water. From there, the path drops several hundred feet, and you are doing that kind of steep hiking where you slip jump a lot, grab trees to stop you, toehold on roots, and use the ropes that are tied to the trees. The ropes go almost the entire way down to the river to include helping you get down the small cliff band at the bottom. And then the final move is across some two-by-six board that has a lot of sag to it. And there is the river. Moist, loud, steep, narrow. The boulders are enormous. Big, beautiful brown boulders with green moss and lichen. The mildly thunderous hiss of water cascading. The place is its own vibe. Tell me about the Green River. Oh, man, the river is hard to... I have such a love affair with the green. I just, like... It's my home. I mean, it feels like home. It's um, it's like coming back home to, like, a really prickly cactus and, like, cuddling with it. But then that cactus, like, kind of hugs you back sometimes and, like, and, like gives you this joy that, like not much else can give you and you just know that always you can go to the green go find peace and happiness and at the same time get a little bit scared and then at the end of it like you get to like realize that you're living in a jungle and it's beautiful and um it's a place that i'm deeply deeply in love with The headwaters of the Green River lay in the Blue Ridge Mountains of western North Carolina with peaks around 3,000 feet. This region gets above 50 inches of precipitation annually. The waters of the Green River flow into a reservoir, Lake Summit. From there, the water is released on a very regulated schedule through the Green River Narrows, meaning kayakers have access to predictable boatable flows for most of the year. The width of the green varies from about 50 feet wide down to a width about equal with the length of a kayak paddle. The portion of the Green River where the race happens has a drop of about 170 feet per mile. For reference, the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon drops about 8 feet per mile. The Middle Fork of the Salmon in Idaho drops about 27 feet per mile through the main permitted stretch. The rapids in the race stretch are significant. Let me clearly say it now. Don't go run the green without Class 5 skills and bring your experienced boater friends who are better than you. It is not a place for egos and rookies. It is stacked with Class 4 and Class 5 rapids, oftentimes in quick succession. The Green River confluences with the Broad River in North Carolina, which flows into South Carolina, and by way of further confluences, the waters of the Green move eventually into the Santee River, 
which has a delta at the Atlantic Ocean some 400 miles downstream from those headwaters. In the water? Tell me about the water. I guess I guess I, I, I keep asking this question, and it's really a fascination I have. I was looking today for calm spots on the water, and I found a few, saw a few, but I didn't see a lot. But there's this thing that you all do who are racing it. There's just this... Well, I mean, there's just success. There's a lot of success in the moves that are required to get down that, that river. Uh, I'm really just, I'm curious about the water. Tell me about what it's like to be on that water and navigating and moving with it, kind of like dancing and swinging with It's like a water. magic carpet ride. It is literally like a magic carpet ride. The green was made for longboats, and, like, being able to paddle a longboat out there is literally like a magic carpet ride. You are one with the water. Every stroke that you take, you are, like, feeling out where Mama Green is pushing you. And then, like, when you get into, the like, the thick of it, like, into go left and into the notch and into gorilla, it's like you're, you're in the you're, – you're being taken care of. I mean, even if you are, like, upside down and backwards running gorilla, which is – I was upside down and backwards not too long ago. But um, – like it is it's a magic carpet ride that's that's the way that i can explain it that's the best way to put it today's sponsor is the native team guide and training program the native team guide and training program is a week-long training that focuses on career path skills in the river guiding industry this annual training program takes place on the san juan river floating across lands of the dene navajo nation All of the participants are teenagers from various indigenous tribes. The majority of the staff leading this program are indigenous river guides from various indigenous tribes. This river guide training for Native American teenagers will host its 11th season in 2023. Participants learn experiential outdoor and play-based education skills, intertribal and intergenerational centered teachings and cultural history, and the technical skills of whitewater boating, canyoneering, river safety, and first aid. Individuals and river industry companies are welcome to contact the program to explore sponsorship options. In today's episode notes, there are direct links to the Native Teen Guide and Training Program and a video from the 2021 season. You can also find them online, www.cfimoab.org. That is C-F-I-M-O-A-B.org. And there, find the Native Teen Guide and Training Program. Tell them... The River Radius sent you. Today's episode is also sponsored by Lava Box. What is Lava Box? Lava Box builds portable campfires. They start with a metal ammo can, like the ones you might use to store your personal items on river trips. This box is about the size of a shoebox. They insert a patent-pending burner, a metal shelf, and some fire rocks. On the outside, you connect the box to a propane tank, a tank just like the ones you use with a grill, Turn on the propane, light the fuel, set the flame height, and you have a portable campfire. It's that simple. You can use these on river trips, on other camping trips, backyard parties, winter camping trips, cool nights at the beach, in the parking lot after a day of skiing, sledding parties with your kids. They pack up easy and fit in your boat or your vehicle. Right now, Lava Box is offering River Radius listeners 10% off everything in your cart. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS. That is one word, River Radius. These are designed and hand-built by my friend Josh Thurman at Lava Box. Josh guided all around the southeast with his main spot on the Gali and New Rivers in West Virginia. 
These portable campfires are hand-built in Colorado by a river runner. You can find Lava Box online at www.fireanytime.com. That is www.fireanytime.com and on Instagram and Facebook. Tell them the River Radius sent you. While river running in the southeastern United States was well established by the mid-20th century, the Green River was not actively boated. The late 1980s marks the time when through runs on the Green were completed and the Green was established on the radar of regional boaters. Prior to that, a short list of boaters put boats in the Green with runs in the 1970s and maybe even a few runs in the decades prior. There are a few good reads on this topic and the links for those are in the show notes for this episode. In the 1980s, the Nantahala Outdoor Center in North Carolina was home to many great boaters and lots of boating instruction. Some of the instructors were looking for new waters and they were checking out the green. Cat Potts was on an exploratory trip for the Nantahala Outdoor Center, or NOC, in river vernacular. What's your name? Cat Potts. And uh, tell me where, where we are today. We are at the best part of the Green River Narrows. We're standing right next to Gorilla, looking down at Scream Machine, Nieces Pieces. You came down here a long time ago. It's, I, I understand that you're kind of part of the um, kind of the exploratory sessions on the Green last century. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, yeah, nobody was running it, and. Um, a friend of mine that was um, the head of kayak instruction at Nanhale Outdoor Center where I was working just wanted to come over and check it out. She was actually most interested in the upper green, which is an easier section, to be able to bring people over for instruction. And uh, we paddled that one day and decided to give the Narrows a look and so called a couple other friends. Uh, they met us the next day and off we went. What, what did that look like? Did you come down with, with just hiking shoes, or did you come down with boats? Oh, we were, we were boating. We were boating. We did, did a bit of walking. We uh, spent more time scouting than anything, ran some sneaks, carried around some stuff, but we, we did some good boating. Before you came down here that time, had you seen water this narrow, this steep, these big drops this fast? I, I really was never a class five boater. I think in those days I probably had the skills. In fact, I'd say I probably have more skills than some of the people that run this river nowadays. But I always thought class five was scary by definition. So I, I ran it one more time after that exploratory, and but I walked these big ones like Gorilla. Yeah, it never was really in me, but it was, it was, it was always fun and exciting. I will say where we're standing right now, which is just this huge slab of rock, used to be a solid poison ivy bed. And this, over the years, so many people coming in here, either hiking in to watch or portaging around, now it's just rock. Kind of a nice change. Yes, it is. That's <laughs> an improvement. There's still plenty of poison ivy down here. One thing I'll say about that first trip, like I said, we were checking it out. Nobody was running it. And we went back to Nantahala Outdoor Center, which was kind of the, the paddling mecca in those days, and told people about it, and that was it. John Kennedy and Tom Visnius were off to the races and came down here and ran everything. 
I think on their first time down, which is pretty amazing because the first time I looked at Gorilla, I wondered if anyone would ever run that. These days, you know, they have pushed the boundaries so far on extreme boating. But back in those days, Gorilla was, was uh, yeah, pretty maxed out. And um, those guys came down here and everybody behind them, and that really was kind of when it all fired up. So that exploratory trip, that was in the 70s or the 80s? Oh my God, you would ask me that. I want to say it was around 1980, I don't know, or 80, 82. I like 1980, I don't know. No, no. I take that all back. It was more like uh, 89 or 90. Yeah, and there. And and the, the, the crew was you and two other women and one dude. That's right. That's right. It was uh, my friend Eric that was with us said it was me and a bunch of gnarly women. <laughs> how, how does that resonate? Three women being on one of the earliest exploratory trips. How does that resonate with what's, what's become of the green culture? At, at this point, I'd say nothing because there are so many hot, women boaters these days pushing the boundaries with the guys but kind of back in those days there were still some people that you know didn't didn't recognize that uh women took part in extreme sports and uh, it was it was definitely starting to happen back then what do you think about the way things have changed i mean we're standing here thursday before the race there's scaffolding there's um like uh, DSL cables strung up down here to get the, the live feed out. There are probably, oh, probably 20 boats down here and probably 40 people. Uh, and there will be a lot more Saturday. What do you think about the evolution and the kind of high volume situation going on these days here? It It's a great use of this resource. And, and again, my only concern is I think people try to get on the green before they're ready for it. But, um, but it is a classic run and, you know, it's never like crowded like, you know, some of these rivers where you can't even get out of an eddy. Not, it's not that used. And as far as like the scaffolding and, you know, the stuff for the live feed, that stuff is still all carried in for an hour and down a steep trail into the gorge. So it, it's, it's not like we're not still kind of out in the boonies here. All right, Kat, thank you. You are welcome. In the mid-1990s, some kayakers were doing what kayakers might do on the green. They were boating a lot and having fun, and a particular few decided to have a little race. That was in 1995. This year, 2022, is the 27th running of the green race. Jason Hale was there at the first race, instigating and racing, and today, along with a few other folks, he is still racing and part of the race organization crew. So my name is Jason Hale. We're here in uh, Saluda, North Carolina. We're down here in the uh, Green River Gorge, We're about to do the Green River Race. This is the 27th annual. So that means it started in 1995. I was one of the originals, ended up becoming one of the organizers. Uh, it's myself, Chelsea Grace, and John Grace. Chelsea's really the backbone of it all. Uh, there was also Leland Davis back in the day that helped me in the very beginning um, get the show going. You know, he kind of passed the baton to me solely, and then I chose John and Chelsea, which is the greatest choices in there. 
We came together as three and with lots of volunteers and a lot of help, we just keep it going. Big shout out to all the volunteers. We keep it within the base. It's a very grassroots race, but it's a very large grassroots race. So like every year last year, we had 66 new racers. This year we have over 50 new racers. And this is a hard class five race, but it's also a very safety controlled race. We have great safety out there. It's a, it's a little more narrow. So people who want to kind of step into the realm of class five kayaking, it's a perfect place to start. And coming into that, you have Golly Race, the Upper Animal Race, you have the Russell Fort Race, you have Tallulah Race after this. So these kids are just coming at it. And we've always just wanted core, fast, hard, class five river racing, you know? Same as people bombing mountain bike trails or doing hard stuff, we, we like to do it fast, it gets fast, you know? And you put on the first race? Leland and I put on the first race, I definitely, say I was the one let's do it because a lot of people are like no we can't do that well I'm like we're doing it we did it and we did it in like February it's freezing there was like 12 of us you know and it was on from then why, why? why'd you do the first race we just kind of started mad bombing and a lot of times there was a lot of the rodeo stuff was going on and we paddled instead of like playing in a spot we're like man we could make a cool event here you know and because we'd get in there and I mean basically you're paddling so fast with your friends rubbing's racing you know and then you're just like we could do some time trials here and then you just set it up and since then we love it when new races come on you know there's harder races than us now there's easier races but anything to kind of get you going down the river you know whatever works can you uh, can you like play webster's dictionary and define mad bombing a river mad bombing so it would definitely be where you, you got well I, in this aspect you have a longer boat so it's a faster boat and you're just trying to go point a to point b so you can pick any line you want but to mad vomit, you gotta, you gotta run the hard part. And man, just tell me about the joy of like, of like being. You know, I, I just drove down the switchbacks. It's so pretty this morning. And you come up, you know, it's like all peaceful down here. And you get this, kind of this one corner, and it's like, oh shit, there's all the boaters. The peace like, is gone. <laughs> peaceful but, has ended. But I feel like it's another kind of peaceful joy you enter into with all these river people. So tell me about that, like, just like your joy, like your passion being with this huge crew of boaters. Oh, man, my joy is definitely, it's it's early in the week. You're getting to see all the people, you know, get their lines going. They're out there. They're, they're mad bombing. They're trying to get it dialed, trying to do a top to bottom race run. You see lots of good crashes, lots of, lots of you know, really fast lines, you know, and it's, you can just tell everybody's building, building it up. We know it's coming. And like. I've raced, so we've had, this is the 27th annual. I've raced 20, this will be my 25th race. I've had, I'm, I got injured the very first race and didn't get to race it, and then I've won it twice, and then I broke my back. And But I've raced ever since. So there's myself and Tommy Hillicky, who's the safety coordinator. He's right behind me. We've done 25 and 24 years. So it's, you kind of get used to this, like Christmas time here. You see your same friends. You know, I live in California, so when I come in, it's like, yeah, baby, I'm back, you know? I mean, not quite, because I've kind of lost some of that East Coast flair, but then all these young kids, they want it to be their house, you know? They want it to be their house. They're all fast as fuck compared to me now. Yeah. I mean, I won back in the day, but it's like, and that's the thing, they're like, what are you doing now? You're slow. I'm like, but I'm posting a time, and that, and I think other racers that, they're not, they're just, man, and part of it, dude, when you paddle through Gorilla, which you've hiked in there to Gorilla, and you paddle through that thing today, there is nothing like it in whitewater, hands down. I don't even care if you were in the Olympics. 
the crowd cheering and going nuts for you as you come through that class five rapping and they're going rowdy cowbells yelling i mean just sirens going off and you're like and it starts way upstream you start hearing it but when you come through that thunderdome of gorilla and making that left turn it's like hair stands up and you're like block it out you want to be one of those horses that like the blinders on you're like don't look at anybody they're like go hell you know and but they're saying it to every racer you know your family and friends are there and it's a good time it's a good time yeah. all right jason thank you appreciate right. your time good luck out there thanks yep, <laughs> see you adrian love connect has won the green race 12 times last year 2021 she did not win she has one other gap in her win streak and she keeps on racing. So you've won 12 times, and I hear you said earlier that you're just going to keep going. There's no, there's no quitting racing for you. You know, John, Grace, Tommy Hillicky, and Jason Hale are three of my best and closest friends, and they are my inspiration to just keep going. I mean, I did a practice lap with Hale earlier, and I passed him in the speed trap, and that's the second year in a row that I've passed him when I was behind him. They, they're my inspiration. I won't stop. I want to keep up with them. And they've got 10 years of racing on me. So, I mean, my goal is not to win for another 10 years. Good Lord, I hope somebody else comes in and beats me. But um, I want to keep being clean, and I want to keep inspiring women to come out and race. And it doesn't have to be in a long boat. I mean, it's just, it's just such a cool experience. I don't want that feeling to go away. So one year you, you ran it, I think, I think your fastest year was 4 minutes, 31 seconds? Yeah. What did it take to hit that time that year? Honestly, I don't remember. I think I was just kayaking a lot that year. Um, I mean, the last few years I've been pretty out of it. Last year I had just had COVID the week before the race. Like I missed the Russell Fork race. And then um, I got two practice laps on the green before um, the race. And so last year I wasn't really feeling super hot. The year before, I had just gotten off a four-and-a-half-month stint um, without kayaking because I was on the island. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think I remember doing, like, a lot of sprints and a lot of attainments, and I was, like, a little beefcake. And um, so I think it it takes a lot for sure. I think I might be a little bit more hard-headed now, though. So I don't know. I just want to have a clean race. So you're competing in the um, the women's longboat division. And you have incredible experience. To me, 17 years of racing is something else. All the times in between. Are you here to to win this year? Is that your mindset on Saturday? No, I'm here to have a good time. <laughs> and if you win? <laughs> if just... I win, it's like a cherry on top. Really, what I'm here for is is to keep having clean race lines. Like that's, I feel so proud of myself when I can do a race lap and be like, oh, I only messed up in three or four spaces or, you know, like there's, I'm so hard on myself. I'm so like, um, analytical about my strokes. And so I think I'm trying really hard to, to realize that me winning the green race does not make me the person that I am. If people choose to not like me, it's not because I didn't win the green race. It's because they've chosen to not like me. And so I'm trying to separate my green race wins from making me a human being. Um, but what I do want is for people to realize that I've raced for 16 years in a row without flipping and without really knock on wood, holy crap, having a large wreck. And that's really hard to do. 
it's coming. It's one of these years I'm going to run Gorilla backwards in the race. Mm-hmm. It might be this year, and I'd be fine with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Evie Leadfarth is here at the Green Race for her first time. She is an incredibly accomplished and decorated riverboater for her wins and competitions in canoe and kayak slalom around the world. So what's up? You are here. You have you have this this background that you have just described. Tokyo, striving for Paris, uh, Slovakia, all these different competitions, Spain, um, on these on these artificial rivers. I would assume sometimes they're on real rivers. Nanahale is, but you're here at the green and. That's no joke out there. That's uh, that's real steep, real big, real natural. I mean, it's damn release, but it's yeah. What's going on? Why, why are you here? Um, I think that you know the green race. It's something that I've heard about since I was so little. Um, you know, so many of my idols that I looked up to when I was younger, um, would come here and do it every year, and I always thought it was like the most like badass cool thing. And then a few of my friends from Solemn also do it, and like completely kick ass, which is great. But last year, I just kind of, like, set this challenge um, to myself that this is something that I wanted to do. And it's super out of my comfort zone. Um, Actually, all of the races that I do, like the World Cups, the World Championships, they're all on artificial courses. I don't really compete on natural rivers at all. So it's such a big change, but it's so cool to be just, like, in such a pretty place um, with people who are, like, so connected to the river, so passionate about it. It's pretty scary for sure sometimes just because it's so different than what I'm used to. I remember the first time that I did Gorilla, I, like, dropped in, and I think I was just, like, screaming the whole time, because I was like, oh, my God, and I got down to the bottom, and I was like, holy shit, holy shit, I, like, flipped at the notch, I, I do not have the easiest time with the notch, so, yeah, I, like, flipped over, I rolled back up, and then I was like, oh, I guess I'm going straight into it, um, and just went for it, but, yeah, it was just, like, this, like, rush, and I was, like, scared, but then I was excited, and it was just, like, oh, it was just so exciting, and it was so great. So, your first time on on the green ever was this... September. Yeah. My first time on the green was not that long ago. Yeah. I had to wait until after my like solemn season was over or else my coach would absolutely kill me. Yeah. Um, which didn't leave that much time, but it's been really great. I'm really lucky to have some great friends out here who have been showing me down, teaching me all the lines and I'm feeling really confident about it. Mm-hmm. So you're out of your comfort zone. It scares you. Talk to me about that. Tell me about like, what, what does that mean? You're out of your comfort zone. Just tell me, tell me what that feels or like looks like to you. Um, I don't know how to describe it. I think it's just, like, I kind of get out there and everything, like, looks, like, almost, like, foreign to me. Like, I've been doing slalom for so long that, you know, I I get to the river, I do my workout, I talk to my coach, and it's all just, like, clockwork. Like, I know exactly how everything works. Um, I, like, am super confident to make all the gates and all of that. And out here, it's, like, every now and then, you know, I I do get lost. I do get in the wrong spot. Um, And I think that sometimes I feel, like, a little bit helpless just because I'm not that used to it. Um, but I think that like the more that I run it, the more that I'm like feeling confident about it and being like, okay, I actually do know how to deal with the situation. I just have to, you know, like smile and keep going instead of, you know, like panic or freeze up. And you, and so with slalom, you're memorizing courses. Is that right? Like you're memorizing drops, waves, gates, all these things that are going to be on your course. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that probably like the biggest part of slalom is visualization. Um, cause we don't actually get to practice the gates before the race. Oh. They set the gates the night before the race and we get to look at it and that's it. So we have mm. to have such a good visualization that we know exactly where the water is going to mm. take us, but they're visualizations for 90 second courses. It's not like an entire river. And I think it's much easier to remember like artificial blocks than it is like natural oh, rivers. Right. 
so that's been really hard for me because I kind of have these like visual cues where I'm like okay I'm at this rapid but there's a lot of rocks and sometimes the rocks look really similar to me so your yeah so your memorization is a is a benefit but it's but but it's not a perfect skill for this yeah exactly I think that like like being able to visualize is such a good skill and I work with a sports psychologist a lot on that but out here it's been really challenging for me to come up with that like perfect visualization that I want and otherwise are your skills of slalom racing transferring over to the green like leaning into waves whatever kayak skills you have to have are those skills transferring over to the green um I'd say a lot of skills are transferring um mainly with like my stroke I think that like I fall on paddlers like we really know how to you know catch at ease get exactly where we want to on the river but some things that don't transfer are like our edges like in slalom like we always edge like upstream through a wave and here it's just not what you want to do like in a creek boat uh, we use outside edge when we're coming into an eddy doesn't work in a creek boat so there's just like a lot of habits that kind of need to be changed um and probably the biggest one is just like I don't know how to read like big white water that well yet like it kind of takes me like a while to kind of like try and visualize like where it's going to put me whereas on the slalom course I'm like all right I'll be exactly there so like when you're coming down like what does the water look like to you um the waves the curls the eddy lines the holes like do they are you reading those cues in there definitely so I'm definitely looking for all of the little cues like that I'm looking for where the water is moving the fastest above a drop I'm looking for you know like a little rooster tail where I'm going to bounce off of and I think that like the more that I run this river the more that I get comfortable like reading those cues and reading the water it's definitely just a lot different when you're moving like fast like when you're doing like a race lap or a hot lap it's like all of a sudden everything's moving so fast and sometimes it's hard for me to like center myself on exactly where I am in the river and it's hard for me to like read water like that fast without like gates to guide me where I'm going. Lava Box is sponsoring this episode about the green race. Earlier in this episode, we talked about the shoebox size portable campfire. Lava Box also has a larger version called the Krakatoa Fire Breather. The Krakatoa will slide right into your Rocket Box bay on your raft. Or are you looking for something a little fancier? Check out their all new 304 stainless steel Hecla. It is sharp looking. Josh at Lavabox first came up with the idea of this portable campfire as a tool to prevent forest fires. When the wind picks up and fans your fire, you can just turn down the flame. When it's time to crawl in your sleeping bag for the night, just turn off the fire and close the lid. No embers blowing in the wind. Right now, Lavabox is offering River Radius listeners 10% off everything in your cart. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS at checkout. That is one word, River Radius. Josh Thurman. The guy behind Lava Box is a longtime river guide and paddled the green for several years. These Lava Box portable campfires are the best portable campfires available, and they are hand built in Colorado by a river runner. You can find Lava Box online at www.fireanytime.com. That is www.fireanytime.com, and also on Instagram and Facebook. Tell them the River Radius sent you. Our second sponsor for today's episode is the Native Teen Guide and Training Program. This week-long training program focuses on career path skills in the river guiding industry, and this program takes place on the San Juan River, floating across lands of the Diné Navajo Nation. All of the teenage participants and the majority of the professional river guide staff are members from various indigenous tribes. 
Program outcomes include coming into the power of your captain's voice, enhancing native-based knowledge, history, and culture, growth in self-management and confidence, and gaining professional outdoor guide experience and marketable skills. The Native Teen Guide in Training Program will host its 11th season in 2023. Individuals and river industry companies are welcome to contact the program to explore sponsorship options. In today's episode notes, there are direct links to the Native Teen Guide and Training Program and a video from the 2021 season. You can also find them online, www.cfimoab.org. That is www.cfimoab.org. And there, find the Native Teen Guide and Training Program. Tell them the River Radius sent you. As you heard Jason say, he passed the lead organization over to Chelsea and John Grace, and they both live near the Green River and have taken on the lead role in race organizing. And at 27 years of a race, a certain passion for the place and purpose must be kept aflame. John Grace hosts a lot of that flame. When I gave him a mic and said, let's check the audio levels, here is how that went. Check, check. Checking one, two, one, two. I'm here outside of New Belgium with Sam Sam Carter. And, uh, yeah, we're here outside of beautiful New Belgium. The moon is out and the sky is clear. It's probably going to start raining here right around Green Race. My name is John Grace, and I live in Asheville, North Carolina. Tell me about the Green Race. Oh, boy. Um, the Green Race. So... Really, there was a core group of people, Jason Hale, Leland Davis, a few others back in the day, and they decided, hey, we're going to bomb all the rapids, and we're going to have a race. And Leland was the first guy. I think Jay, you know, Jason was definitely like, let's do it, I'll race. You know? He was kind of the antagonist. So Leland put the race together. 16 Brave Souls went out there in 1996, and they ran it. And everybody left a different person who raced in that race Mm. and word spread after that that this race was going on and then a couple years later more and more people joined 1998 was the first time i raced in it i've missed one or two years between that then and 2022 and then in 2006 jason who was organizing the race and i was filming the race at that time moved to california and he said hey you know you you want to keep organizing this and i said i'll I'll do it as long as you come back but the first year i do it we're going to have an hour of power so we're going to have 60 racers launching every minute over gorilla and we're going to have an hour of power that was in 2006 first year we got that and it's really grown since then. We have a, like a stout junior class now. We've got master's class. We've got the best battlers from the world who come over and, and uh, do their thing. We've got a huge community here in the southeast that welcomes everybody. And it's really turned into a uh, – it's got a strong community vibe. Everybody knows each other. But it's also turned into this – it's it's rose the paddling and the skill level of everybody around here because what happens is originally it was just locals racing but then you start bringing in the biggest names from around 
and then all the locals get to see and race with them and watch them and that then all of a sudden their brains like oh i think i could do that so it's really become this like uh this catalyst to just paddling skill and kind of the root of the community here and and that's why you see paddlers from this area travel all over the world first ascents in places and just doing amazing things so in summary the green race would be a community event with a global reach that is the greatest show in all of sports well you guys have turned like covid forced it not force it but like the choice was made to go live stream and now you're back to full crowd and live stream how many people will be down there saturday there'll probably be two thousand people down there and how many um, people are live streaming and then there'll probably be i mean i don't know how many people there's hundreds of watch parties going yeah, on yeah right <laughs> you know like the actual raw views of of race day is you know five or six thousand but you know there's probably close to ten thousand people i would say who yeah. watch the race that's you incredible. know from various different places so you know it attracts quite the audience and we have like a really cool festival with like good music and camping and whatnot now so it's kind of turned into a destinational thing yeah and not everyone not everyone who hikes down is necessarily a kayaker but at the top of the website somewhere on your website it says don't hike down here unless you can get down here because it's serious so there's an investment like a a person really wants to come oh yeah it's we do not recommend people hike in yeah it's dangerous yeah it is i mean you could fall in the river there is i mean there's a mile of river we can't control where everybody's at and what they're doing i mean you know our some of our worst injuries knock on wood have been hikers Mm. um that have came down in there but that's kind of the thing about the green is it it just draws this core crowd so you have these hikers who these are people who summit you know you know they're avid avid hikers you know and they're river enthusiasts and it it brings together this kind of super core group of people and i don't want to be exclusionary because that's not it's not like that but just the barriers that you have to break through to get in there mm-hmm. kind of just you know you have just a, a certain a certain people down there and yeah. i think that's where the balance comes from yeah so, so what's the outcome then the, the, like the purse the winning there's no cash it's just this kind of glory pie that people get it is you know it's uh you're you know every person who's won the green race is a legend in their own right you look at Dane Jackson, Andrew Holcomb, Isaac Levinson, Mike Dawson, Tommy Hillicky, Jason Hale, Pat Keller. You know, it's like all, every one of those people is a legend in their own right. And Adrian, you know, she's our most decorated green race racer by far, 12 years. And she got beat last year, but, I mean, she's back stronger than ever this year. And so... You know, like when you stack up numbers like that, and it's one thing to do it once, twice, or three times, but when you start repeating like a Dane or a Tommy or an Adrian or those people, like you, you get recognized, you know? And we've thought about trying to increase the entry fee to do a cash purse and, and things like that, but, and we may do that. We, we, we may change things up at any time, you know? Um, but you get a custom-made piece of trophy and a glass, and you get your name, you know, marked into history. And those things mean more than, you know, 
$1,000 or whatever. You know what I mean? So I think we're going to keep our emphasis on that. You know, I don't know. I think there's, there's more to life than money. So how does this thing relate to other competitions, like other big competitions? And I'm thinking about part of this is I'm interviewing Evie Liebvarth. You know, she's been to the Olympics at Tokyo. Adrian's world competitions. I'm not sure what Dane does, but I'm sure he's competing pretty hardcore in the world scene. Like, how does this line up next to those big other competitions in the world? Well, there's a few things. None of them compete in front of a crowd this big. So this is the biggest, rowdiest crowd you're ever going to paddle in front of. That is for sure. Um, and that's not only on the live show and whatever, but just on the river. You know, you're never going to paddle it with this many eyes on you. So that's, that's a thing right there. It's one shot. So you don't get prelims, this and that, and you make it through to this chance and whatever. Like, you have a start time, and you have your period to get to the finish line, and that is your race. You know, that makes it a thing when you only get one go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, and then also there's, there, there are 15, 20 people who are super serious. They want to win. Mm-hmm. But everybody, most people, they just want to post their best time. They want to post their best time. They want to have their best performance. That's all they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you get a chance to do that in front of the biggest crowd in Whitewater. So I'd say as far as other sports, other events, it's one go. So it's all on the line for one go. You've got a huge, rowdy crowd who wants to see you either crush it or crash it. <laughs> and uh, and then you've got just like this amazingly amazing supportive community. Whether you do great or don't do great, everybody's there to like, you know, cheer you on. Tell me about your love affair with that water in that place, and like what what happens for you? Because I saw you racing today, or not racing, but running laps. You had yeah. your boat. You're suited up. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. going on for you when you're in there on that water? Oh man, for me on the water, and this is just. If we want to talk about just kayaking in general, that's different. But just for the race, with everything that's going on from the live show to the festival to the actual event to all the things that are going on, those four and a half, five minutes of the race are the only time I'm not thinking about all that stuff. So, like, when I go up and I do my race lap, I have maybe three or four minutes to chill out, look around, take in the moment be present right then not thinking about what's happening next because that's what it is when you do event production and i get to actually reboot through the race course and then you know when i hit that finish line then it's kind of back on game for the race but you know a lot of it would be a lot easier for me if i didn't race (laughs) to put on this event but at the same time i would lose so much so i'm going to just try to keep racing as long as i can because that's the one moment during this whole thing you'll, and you'll see me tonight and pulled a million different places and what's going on but that's the one time that i'm actually present mm-hmm. i'm actually right there i'm doing exactly the same thing as all the athletes i'm experiencing the river is the exact same way as everybody else and that's that's a that's i don't want to lose that i hate to lose that you know and i know that i don't have the time to commit to be a contender or whatever but you know, I always feel like any race I can get in the top 20, so that's what, I'm, that's what I'm going for. Jason said it. John said it. Everyone I talked to at the race and before I even got there said, Chelsea Grace is the one who brings it all together at the green race. She is part of the lead organizing crew with John and Jason. Here is Chelsea Grace sitting down with me the night of the race 
at about 11 p.m. after the race is over and after the awards are complete. My name is Chelsea Grace, and I hang out in Nashville, North Carolina. So tell me, so tell me about your your role at the Green Race. Whew. My role at the Green Race is uh, kind of all the back end small logistics that no one likes to think about. Are they really small? <laughs> no, they're not small. Like you know, so all the timing, so all the registration, making sure. All the first-time racers have emailed us back, making sure people have signed their waiver, T-shirts, T-shirt sales, making sure the festival, everyone can check in and all that fun stuff, organizing all the volunteers for the festival and timing, managing the sponsors, communicating with the sponsors, making sure they all know what's going on, when they can come in, who's coming, where we're going to put them. There's four cell phones in front of you. Are they all yours? Uh, they're part of the timing system. So we have two t- cell phones at the start and two t- cell phones at the finish on top of a timing activator. So that's what they're from doing the results earlier. So you, you are managing, um, you're managing this race and all these details. And then you've got two young kids I saw running around here and then, oh, you have three. Yeah, we have yeah. twins. We, uh, uh, oh. seven years ago we had twins 10 days before the green race. So that was that was probably the hardest year we've ever had for Green Race. But yeah, so we had ten day old twins. Did you still manage the race? Uh, I still help deal with timing. Yes. And uh, so you have three kids, and yeah, how, how are you pulling this all off? Like, I mean, your kids are running around here. How are you pulling this all off? Uh, we've made our kids very understanding and pliable. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they, they understand they're awesome and, you know, they, they understand we work, we work our offices at home and I don't know, they're just used to it and, you know, they like being part of it. Tell me more about the back end of this. Like you, you definitely just glossed over. Here comes some back end. You good? You need to talk to him? No, no, no. It was for John. Okay. So tell me more. Like, I mean, you just really glossed over this kind of like, oh, we did this and this and this, but, but. To help the person listening to understand, like, the thing that's going on outside is a sweet party with this very organized camping with toilets, with food, with water. Uh, and then the race is incredible because it's not near, like, everything that goes in is either boated or hiked in and then reversed out. You don't, it, it's just this incredible hike. What's going on that people don't know about? Well, we couldn't do it without an obscene amount of volunteers. Which I, How many? Oh, I would say close to 50. You know, there's different levels of volunteers. Like Jim Mazzola comes out. He's been out here with his RV, I think, since last Friday, just setting up the whole infrastructure of the festival, you know, fences, designing. He designed us, like, exactly, you know, he's the one who designed how this all the parking would go and the camping and how we could maximize learn from last year, power you know generators all that kind of stuff and then tommy hillicky does all the safety i think that's a 30 something crew and then i manage timing john manages all the live crew you know so it's a whole bunch of everyone split off doing a bunch of pieces just you know counting on those people and yeah so we 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 get a lot of help come once once we get within a couple weeks of this race there's a lot of people that we couldn't do this race without how much of your year is, is spent working on this race? Mm, we work on it off and on through the year, but the last month has been 100% green race. 100% day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Is there like a great memory you have from all these years of the green race that just kind of, when you think of, when people ask like, what's the green race like that comes to you that like is a standout? I think I've just done the finish line for the last, I think 16 years and just how stoked people are when they come to the finish line and that they did it, they accomplished that, how far, you know, how much it took them to get there and just being part of that stoke is what really stands out to me about Green Race. Chelsea, thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. On the Thursday before the race, I hiked into the green to watch the racers run practice laps, to interview folks, and to simply have fun. Up on the rocks at Gorilla, Gorilla is the biggest rapid in there, was a small crew having a lot of fun watching racers, hollering at them and laughing and admiring the runs. One of those folks was Shane Benedict. I had been encouraged to talk with Shane because of his history with the Green and because he founded Liquid Logic Kayaks after meeting the Green River. I wanted to hear his thoughts on the role the Green River has played in building up the modern kayak industry and the modern kayak culture that has become so prolific. By some accounts, I have heard that Shane might have more runs down the Green River than anyone else. His reference to NOC is again, Nanahala Outdoor Center. What's your name? I'm Shane Benedict. Tell me the company that you started and you work at. A group of us started Liquid Logic Kayaks in 2000, so we're 22 years old right now, so I'm pretty stoked. And that's pretty close to here? Our original base was right near the put-in, but now we've opened up a big factory and it's up near Asheville. It's about 25, 30 minutes from here. And uh, where are we right now? We're we're standing right at the top of Gorilla. It's awesome. And you're not wearing flip-flops. You're suited up. I'm suited up, man. Paddling in. This is really fun. This is uh, the community part of paddling in this area, paddling the green and all that. It really comes out these days right before the race. Yeah. It's super awesome during the race, but this this moment right now, everybody is so jacked because they're super excited about racing and everybody's out trying to get their line style. And they just come in one after the other. Another fast one here, Holt, Holt McWirt. He could be up there. He could be on the podium, actually. <laughs> nice wheelie out of the speed trap. Are you racing? I'm not racing. I'm not racing. I I, uh, I definitely have that itch, you know, always. But I've I, I've let my uh, my paddling schedule get kind of messed up with COVID, and I got into that whole renovating houses thing like an idiot. <laughs> but I'm past that now, and so I'm starting to paddle more. So the last time I raced was a little while ago. Um, it was like seven years ago. And I understand that you have been down this run, down the Green Narrows, a lot. <laughs> that, that's an understatement by, by a good bit. I haven't ever been very good at documenting all my runs, but uh, there was a long period of time where I was getting 75 plus, 100 laps every year. But I'm not doing that here anymore at all. <laughs> for, for a couple decades, for several decades? Yeah, so I started paddling the Green in 1990. So we got, we got some time out here, 30, 32 years, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of runs. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about your history with this place. Talk me through that. Well, actually, a whole lot of the um, exploration of the Green Rivers was NOC people. They were bringing tubes and rafts and all kinds of stuff down in here and exploring this section of river. Jimmy Holcomb, Andrew Holcomb's dad, came down in a canoe you know, back in the day. Of course, they probably walked everything, but they did explore. Um, and then, like some of my heroes, Eric Nice of Nice's Pieces, Mark Zwick of Zwick's Backender, 
you know, those were all folks at NOC and um, they had gone to check it out the year before I came to NOC. And then a group of friends that I had made at the Chattooga, I was guiding down to Chattooga, we got to be a paddling crew and we started coming up here every chance we got. And it was, uh, it became a ritual for sure for us to come up to the green. It's crazy how paddling this river all the time, it just, it just makes you a better paddler. You know, you, you're out here pushing yourself all the time. And so we came up here a lot to paddle and, and that all made us a lot better. And so that's when it kind of started. So what, what's the impact of, the, of this corridor of water? The Green River Narrows, the, the, the race, what's, what's been the impact of all of this on the kayak boat industry and on the kayak culture? I mean, I'm trying to think of another place that would affect a community so much. Like, there's a great Chattooga culture, there's great Okoe culture, there's great cultures around all the different rivers. But the green brought outdoors to Asheville, I mean, obviously the paddling community, but like, there, none of us lived here. None of us lived here. We came here because we wanted to paddle this river. And the reason we want to paddle this river is because it runs all the time. You know, it runs 250 days a year. And so, you get to go push yourself constantly and really upgrade your paddling. And then, hey, I need to find a job or I need to, a way to make a living or, you know, and so industry came, Astral, you know, Liquid Logic. Dagger's only down in Greenville and they started down in that area. So that, it's been convenient that we're here. All the people, all this community, very few of them are locals. There are some, but we all came here for this and people moved in and they're finding jobs all around the area. I don't even have a clue how many people moved to this area because of the culture that's built up around the Green River. And then you think about the industry of paddling, you know, right here, the other, it's incredible testing ground, you know, especially for creaking, obviously, but I test plastics all the time here. I test boat designs all the time here. It, it's just, you know, it's so good for me as a boat, as a boat designer and boat company, you know, this is, it's incredible to have this resource here. But that was all by design. We wanted to be here. <laughs> Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. Nice to meet Jack. This year's green race was dedicated to a woman, Sarah Rulin. Sarah's life came to an end this year in 2022. I personally did not know Sarah. And yet, I saw the waves of posts about her life and passing on social media this summer, and I recognized that a river icon was being honored. So, I asked about the race dedication being made to Sarah Rulin. First, John Grace, one of the Green Race organizers, shares his thought, and then again we hear from one of our racers, Adrian Levconnect. Uh, this year's race is dedicated to Sarah Rulin. I'm saying that name right, Sarah Rulin? Sarah Rulin, yep. Tell me about that. Tell me about her. Tell me about that dedication. So six years ago now, um, I was talking to Sarah Rulin, and she was a young girl. She passed away way too young, but she was a, a young girl, early 20s, and she was uh, around on the banks when we did this uh, fun event called the Green River Rodeo. You can look it up online, but it's a fun summertime slice. It's basically freestyle down the green. And she was out there with a camera, and she just showed up, and she was kind of just lurking around. And we got to the bottom of the thing. I was like, hey, are you camera person, are you editor, you know, whatever? And she's like, I, I kind of do all that kind of stuff. And I said, well, you know, would you want to work on the green race? And she was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. Mm -hmm. And so came up with a paltry budget for her. And I just, after talking with her a while, 
so authenticity, authentic, authenticity is hard to come by. And a lot of the times you have to have some struggles to be authentic. It's like if life's too easy for you, you don't really become authentic, in my opinion. That's not to say it's always like that. But Sarah had some health struggles and some various things, but she was so authentic. And it just kind of captured me right away. And she's the first person ever that I just gave free reigns to on media and highlights and whatever. And after that first year, I was like, you're our person. You know, you're you're our person. Like, you, you, you have the vibe. You understand what's going on. And she did something different. It wasn't like a hype reel or like a, not that those are bad. I'm not, you know, but it was just like super true and super authentic to the event. And she threw humor in there. It's talking about if people pooped in the morning and all this kind of stuff. And I just came out of nowhere. And then she started working our way into our live show productions that we do for other people and various things. And so over the past two years she became a big part of our team i traveled with her everywhere from idaho to california to all kinds of places and she is a huge loss in the community as a whole um as a friend um as a as a a media person for the green race it's just a big loss all around and she's just gone too young you know she's just young it's just it's just hard when people are young and pass away but she was she was she was a big part of the green race. There's no doubt. I mean, for the past five years, if you saw media, the green race, 80% of it was her. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. This year's race is dedicated to Sarah Rulin. What can you tell me about the dedication of the race to Sarah and, and about Sarah herself? Sarah was the most inclusive, loving, caring, and like free human that I've ever met. She was also one of the strongest people that I've ever been able to come in contact with. Um, She never used any of her health problems to hold her back. Um, She was on the river day in, day out. You know, even if she was dealing with her insulin pump not working or her thyroid having a horrible day, like whatever it may be, she was just loving and her energy will is unmatched it will never nobody will ever meet the way that she drug people in to her fold and she literally would like drag everybody and anybody into her fold it didn't matter if you were black white green yellow gay straight bi it didn't matter if you had a sex change she is like everything she was the most inclusive human being that I've ever met and if there's one thing that the world can take away from losing Sarah is that we need to work on being more inclusive and and not boxing people out because of what their background is or because they haven't run the green a thousand times or because of these like stupid reasons where people make up stories in their heads about other people Um, and she just never, she was always, she was a rock. She's a pillar to a lot of us. And in, in her passing, I think a lot of us realized that we took advantage of her. And, um, so that's at least I did, I have, and I've heard a couple of other friends voice that. And so it's hard for me to know that she passed without us being able to share that we we did we have we've 
had taken advantage of her at some point because she was just so selfless. And um, I just wish that I could hug her one more time. And Yeah, she's very, very missed. What does that mean you took advantage of her? Um, she's just such a hard worker. She always wants to be doing something and she always wants to be helping. She is just, she's such a workhorse and people would just be like, Oh, Sarah can do it. Sarah can do this. Sarah can do that. And, and you know, you always think like those people are just going to be around forever. And then it's crazy because when they're not, you really, really feel it. Um, just because she was so, she was everywhere all over the place. And so now that she's gone, it's, um, it's hard. I think there's a lot of people that are feeling some holes for sure, both in their hearts and in their like physical life. Thanks for telling me that. A green river size thank you goes out to each of our guests in this episode and the many behind the scenes folks who have supported my efforts to get this race audio put together. There's a second episode, part two, Green Race 2022. It is live and ready for you right now. Today's advertising sponsors are Lava Box Portable Campfires and the Native Teen Guide and Training Program. You can find web and Instagram links for both of these sponsors in the show notes. There is a memorial fund in honor of Sarah Rulin. A scholarship will be awarded by her family and friends to support folks in the paddling community with medical expenses or other causes that Sarah was passionate about. And there is a conservation project to support the lands of the Green River. You can learn about that and support it by following a link in the show notes. In today's show notes, you can also find so many links to various information about the Green Race, videos of racing and rescues, online articles, websites, Instagram accounts. If you want to know what it looks like, at the Green River, there are lots of videos giving you that visual. An additional thank you goes out to Mark Hunt and Cat Potts. Mark and Cat are deeply connected to the Green River, and Mark was my host every time I went down into the gorge and is a walking encyclopedia helping me link all of the pieces together. Today's music is composed and performed by Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. And welcome to the grain race. You can't talk it, don't walk it. Oh. Well, we couldn't do it without an obscene amount of volunteers. It was me and a bunch of gnarly women. And we're going to have an hour of power. Rubbin's racing, you know.